All right. Hey, if, uh, if you get too warm in the next little bit, Kona Ice is here. So if you want a little Kona Ice, they're back there. Some of our team, some of the people here have brought their lunches for after. So if you want to hang out, that's great. You can hang out with them. It's perfect. And if you're back after a, an exit, long time away, we're so glad that you're here. And we'll be here at the park for several dates throughout the summer. We'll be here uh, almost every month. There's a little break in September, but actually all the way to October. And so uh, every month, just keep an eye on your e-news, calendar dates, and, and you'll be ready to join us again here. And my guess is it's going to get a little bit warmer as we go through. So you should have your little card. You got a little card with you, a little square card. It's got a verse of scripture on it. Keep that handy. That would be great. Don and I were getting ready to get out and get active yesterday. And so we came over here to the park. We did the incline. Yes. And we did a little hiking. And nobody was at the park. It was a nice morning. It was sunny. It was beautiful. Nobody was here. We didn't know where they were until we went to Lowe's and everybody in Castle Rock was at Lowe's. And we walked into Lowe's, and I had my mask on. You've been wearing your mask. I hope you've been doing that, right? Being good citizen and all that business. And I, we walked in, and of course, the CDC just gave their guidance, and had most of the people in Lowe's didn't have their mask on. So I thought, well, I'm not wearing mine either. You've done the same thing here in the last few days, right? So you, you take, take your mask off, and you just you have it with you. You don't have it with you. Maybe you're not sure. You're about to get kicked out. Maybe you're about to get welcomed in. It's confusing, isn't it? You don't have any idea. We're getting to the place where things are beginning to shift and change a little bit. And as a family, we've been changing and shifting, too. We've been making plans. How many of you have plans to travel this summer? You didn't go anywhere last summer, but now we're going to go somewhere. We've done the same, so we've booked some places for our trailer we're going to make some camping trips all over this part of the country. And then we also booked a flight for a place that's warm and sunny and sandy, and we can't wait to go. We want to spend some time at the beach. And I was excited about this trip to go to the beach. Our trip takes us through uh, international airports where we end up down in Miami, Miami International Airport. And I was excited about this trip until I opened up the news and saw this headline. I want to read you the whole headline. Another brawl breaks out at Miami International Airport. So a few things concerned me about that headline. Of course, we're going to Miami, and it happened in Miami. But secondly, it says another brawl. And I thought, how many brawls have there been in the Miami airport? Well, it turns out there's been two in the last 10 days. In the Southwest Terminal... We're flying southwest. <laughs> and I read about this incident that occurred in the Miami airport near the terminal. You know, we've heard about people losing it on the plane and various things that have happened through the pandemic. And we read these things and we have this sense that uh, things aren't going great. People are a little tense. People are on edge. And I read about this brawl that happened near the ticket counter, and it was a, just a mayhem, melee, and bedlam that broke out among about a dozen people 
that eventually led to a few arrests, and the same thing happened about five days before. The TSA and the FAA, this is what they say, that throughout any given year, there are about 100 to 150 unruly passenger or unruly things that happen near a ticket counter, about 150 in a given year. This year, so far in 2021, there have been 1,300 official reports, which makes me a little nervous about traveling. And I think about the things that are happening out in the world and how people are, and I recognize that what is true that I've heard from the many therapists that are part of our church, my friends that are social workers or work in public settings, most of them have looked at all of us and said, we're not okay. Have you noticed this while you're driving? How many of you have gotten more than your fair share of one-finger waves while you're driving over the last few months? Or maybe you've given a few. I don't even want to know. Okay, it's just not that kind of confession that we have. This, this sense that we're all dealing with sort of a, a bit of a latent languishing or difficulty through season that we've been through, and now that we're re-emerging, it feels like we were sent away to a long time out to the corner of a very dark and distant room, and now that we're being asked to come out and interact with other people, maybe we've forgotten a little bit about how to do that, or we're carrying with us some things that have made us a little bit disoriented about what matters, how well we love, how we interact with others, and what our values are. The other day I watched the end of a movie that we saw years ago that we loved. It's, uh, the movie's called Captain Phillips. How many of you have seen Captain Phillips? Do you remember it? It's a story of a true story. Uh, the movie came out in 2013, but the, the hijacking of this, this tanker ship, this cargo ship, happened in 2009, and Tom Hanks plays the main character, Captain Phillips. And as he plays this character, he is stalwart and strong, and he commands his people in the ship. And eventually, of course, the very end of the movie includes a rescue. This ship was taken by Somali pirates for a while. And the very last scene of the movie involves Tom Hanks. This is a true depiction of what occurred being taken to the rescue ship and being evaluated for how he's doing. When they filmed the movie, they used an actual Navy medic to assess Tom Hanks or the character of Captain Phillips at the end of the movie. And the director said to the Navy medic, just assess him as you would any other patient. And so she does that, and then they put it on film. Actually, only took two takes to get this scene at the end of the movie. Everything's fine. <laughs> Maybe. And so, as I watch the end of the movie, it's very emotional. Tom Hanks plays this, this captain who was, of course, incredibly traumatized. And he's finally now letting down and he's allowing himself to feel everything that he didn't allow himself to feel when he was under the pressure and the fear of, of being captured by pirates. But this Navy medic, without a script at all, just begins to treat him as she would any other trauma victim. And so he comes in, 
She calls him by name. Do you know where you are, Captain Phillips? And he begins to answer her questions. And she just in a very specific way leads him down a path of assessing his awareness. It's a powerful scene. If you haven't seen it, you ought to watch it. He begins to then break down and begin to feel everything that he's felt that he stuffed and set aside. It reminds me of how some of us feel coming out of the pandemic or even some of the other losses or difficulties we've had. Now, when this, this nurse begins to assess him, if you know much about nursing care or those who are called to assess somebody's ability to know what's really going on at any given moment, the questions she asks are very familiar. Who are you? Do you know what day it is? Do you know what time it is? Do you know where you are? Do you know what just happened? So two nurses in my family, a social worker and some other folks that are in helping professions, we know this is alert and oriented. Are you alert and oriented? In fact, they'll, they'll even say that it's alert and oriented times four. This is what they're looking for. They're wanting to know if the person who's been through trauma or difficulty or pain or struggle, if they know who they are, what time it is, where they are, and what just happened. That's what it means to be alert and oriented times four. So as I read the news and I pay attention to the headlines, I wonder when somebody finds himself at a Southwest ticket counter in Miami International Airport, and they thought they were just going to take a trip with their family, but instead now they're trading blows with a stranger that they've never met, if they actually have any awareness of whether or not they're alert and oriented. Do they know who they are? Do they know where they are? Do they know what time it is? And do they understand what just happened? When I watch us come out of what would be, by any stretch of any imagination, a difficult season, I wonder how alert and oriented we are about who we are, about what just happened, what time is it, or spiritually speaking, what season is it that we're in? And do we understand what has just happened? Because we can find ourselves a bit lost, not knowing which end is up. So our hope through this summer, the card that you have, little tiny card has a scripture on it. Our hope through this summer is to put in your hands something that will help you stay alert and oriented times four. The scriptures that we'll share with you through the summer well, we're focusing then on one verse every time we gather on a Sunday, whether it's at the church on Park Street or here at Miller Park a few times. And what we want to do is give you one verse that hopefully you could either learn so well that you're familiar with the content, or some of you overachievers will actually commit the verse to memory so that when you're walking through a store, driving near a busy intersection, dealing with your kids as they're trying to figure out their new summer schedule or trying to find your way in some other circumstance, that the words of a scripture will come to mind and they might direct you and help you walk down a path, staying alert and oriented times four. In other words, I know who I am, I'm a follower of Jesus, 
I know what time it is. It's time for me to display and show some of the fruits of the Spirit that maybe I've kept hidden from some of my relationships. I know where I am. I'm with people that need to know and see demonstrated the love of Jesus in unique ways. And I know what's just happened. We're all a little bit raw, maybe a little confused, maybe a little unsure about which way is up. And so these verses, today's will be an example. We'll walk through it just a little bit. These verses, we hope, will create a compass for you and me. And the compass is that thing that we need when we're not sure which way to turn, how we're supposed to feel, where we're supposed to go. Maybe we didn't handle something the way we thought was best. And so we pull out our compass and decide, I'm not sure which way to turn, but I'm going to live by these words today. One verse guiding our path. And so we'll share context, of course. We don't want to cherry-pick things. We don't want to make them say things they're not supposed to. We'll share some understanding of what's happening around the verse, but we want to put in your hands a verse that you can walk with every day. And so today's is Romans 12, 16. There's two versions on the little card in front of you. We're going to read the NIV version together with one voice here at Miller Park. Don't you love being at Miller Park? In a minute, you'll see some... Folks that are doing zip lines today, they've already been out and about. Some dude was on a go-kart that I'm going to probably go buy one later this week. I don't know if you saw him. That looked like it was a blast. And I love the bikers and the hikers and the atmosphere and the picture that we have of God's creation. So in the middle of God's creation, let's read Romans 12, 16, the NIV version, together with one voice and fill his earth with the beauty of this wisdom. Let's say it together. Ready? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. One verse. You'll find this verse nestled in Romans chapter 12, right in the middle. And all around it are verses that are very similar, incredibly practical, very specific about how we are to live. And the reason why we need verses like this and why the Bible is filled with them, whether you're reading Proverbs or Romans or maybe some section of the Gospels, is because when we're commanded to love one another, most of us have an understanding or maybe a picture of what love is, but most of us do even better when the specifics of love are described in detail. And meaning this, if you're wondering what it looks like to love somebody, the words, the phrases, the pictures in Romans 12, 16 will give you a picture. It'll give you specifics about what it means to live it out. And you'll be able to take your values, the way you treat others, the way you see other people, and compare it with the words of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you. And you'll begin to think, ah, this, is, this needs to be adjusted in my life. This needs to be changed, shifted. I need to work on you fill in the blank so that the love that I give is not only sincere and real, not only does it flow from my heart, but it is love that is received as love. Whatever it is that you and I do in our lives, however we treat other people, how well we love, it's only love it's if it's received as love by the people that are near us, by the people that we live with, the people that we work with, the people in our neighborhoods, all of this means that love must be received in this way. 
And so Paul writes, live in harmony with one another. Well, when I think about the the circumstances in the Southwest Terminal, I think I can't imagine anything more missing than harmony. When I think about the difficulties of disagreements that we've had in our culture, when I think about the politics, the variety of opinions that are shared, the thing that's missing most is harmony. Probably a better translation of this is be of the same mind towards one another. This is what harmony means. And that's so hard right now. It's so difficult. Because if you and I are going to be of the same mind, let's be honest, we, we were not of the same mind. I have a different opinion than you have. I have different feelings than you have. My perspectives and my convictions are different than yours. And you see this all around. So what does it mean when Paul says, be of the same mind? How can that even be possible? Well, let's just use an example from everyday life that we've lived in the last uh, six to 12 months. My friend, Craig Engelson here. Hello, Craig. Everybody say hello to Craig. Now, let's just say for a minute that Craig is, uh, has a, a political persuasion that's different than mine. And we, we, we can even say what it is if we want. We'll, we'll just say that Craig is, is a, a left-leaning liberal just for the moment, and that I'm a, I'm a right-leaning conservative, and that Craig... Craig is just, he's, he's absolutely certain that, that you all should still be masked up right now, and he's a little seething underneath that you're not. He's absolutely certain that you voted for the wrong person, and we, we could go on and on, but Craig has deep convictions and feelings about all of these things. See, he even put his mask on. See, he knows, he knows. And, and Kristen, his wife sitting next to him, she thinks, you know, I can't even believe I'm still married to this man with all of his opinions and his strong arguments that he has, and she's, is it too close to home? Is it? Okay. And so Craig and I, we work together, for example, and every day I say a barb and he barbs back and he's not behaving the way I want and I think he's being this way and that way, and we find ourselves at odds. And Paul says to me, and he says to Craig, live in harmony with one another. What would that even look like? Let's use the other translation. Be of the same mind. How can I do that? If, if this is the charge for what love looks like, how can I live that way? Because this is what Romans 12, 16, if you're going to use it as a compass, if it's my true north, this is what I'm being asked to do. And so it means that my approach with Craig is very different. And because I know Craig, even though he's you know, got some wacky political thoughts, I know that, that Craig loves Jesus too. And so somebody laid this verse on him at church, and he decided to try to live it out, and they did the same thing to me, and we find ourselves at work again on another day. And instead of me trying to shove my agenda towards Craig, I've got some questions for him. Instead of me trying to convince him that I'm right... I've all of a sudden decided that the best way for me to live out, Romans 12, 16, is to become curious about what he thinks and why he thinks that. I mean, let's be honest. Craig is a, he's an accomplished engineer. He's got his own career. I mean, he's given the responsibility to lead teams and incredible projects, and some of them he can't even talk about without killing us after he explains it. And so I know he's a smart man, 
beyond that, I know this about Craig, that he was made in God's image and that God loves him. And I know God feels the same about me. And so now when I'm engaging with Craig, my hope is that I will live out Romans 12, 16. So I ask him, what do you really think about this? I mean, let's just get past the, the anger and the, the difficulty. Why do you feel this way? How are your values shaped? How will you live this out? How will you teach your kids? And all of a sudden, Craig and I have found this little tiny postage stamp square of common ground. And we can build from there. Be of the same mind. What would it be like if you and I decided to live this way or to live with this in mind, especially with the people that think differently, vote differently, act differently, behave differently than us? This is what we're called to do. Now, I know you're tired too. Me too. You're a little worn out as well. You only have so much left to give in your cup of love, and you've only poured it out every day for the last several months. And so God's called you to draw near to him, be filled with his love and mercy so that you have at least a little something left to give to the people around you. So now when I go to work, Craig and I only argue every other day. And some days we find some common ground. And when we do, we sense that God's in the middle of that. That's what it means when Paul says, live in harmony with one another. That only happens when you and I are curious about each other. That only happens when we have decided that it might be that we don't know everything. In fact, the best phrase in this passage of Scripture really is in that second version in the NLT, the very end of it, it says, and don't think you, what? Don't think you know it all. It's great. It's great. In fact, that is worth the price of admission for some of us, that if we only lived that one phrase, that it would change how we approached some of the people in our orbit and in our sphere. The rest of the verse do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And then he repeats it, do not be conceited. If you and I decided to live this way, it would change how we viewed almost every perspective of our entire class system in our culture. We have this perspective of believing that some of us are better than others and that others don't deserve the things that we have. When Paul gives us this picture of what it means to not be proud, he's saying this. Pay attention to how you treat the people around you, especially those who cannot give you anything in return. How do you treat people like that? One of the best things about our relationship with Wellspring and World Orphans and the many other organizations that we're connected to that do kingdom work is there is an understanding that in the kingdom of God, there are no kings and queens and princes and paupers. There is no class system in the kingdom of God. There's no way for us to believe that God made us in his image. He did the same with you. And that we can treat other people based on what they can bring to the table. Each of us bring his image, his worthiness, and his righteousness to the table. And so, 
when you have some friends that are working in your yard nearby, some landscapers, when you have some folks that are cleaning your office that you work in every day, how do you treat those people that you are tempted to believe that you're better than or that they're not as important or influential or wealthy or powerful or significant as you? And Paul says, don't be too proud don't be conceited. And so, how would this work in my life and your life? Well, I take this verse. Maybe I'm going to cut it out of this card and put it where I can see it. Maybe I like the NLT better, so I'm going to commit it to Mary. And as I do, I begin to filter my actions, my attitudes, and my heart, my behavior through the truth of this verse. And so I begin to think about the people in my life. Maybe God brings to mind a name of somebody that I am out of harmony with. And so I begin to ponder what it would look like to treat them differently, more thoughtfully, more lovingly. What it would look like to be curious about their life. And as God begins to knit us together, then one verse begins to change the nature of our relationships with one another. And I begin to decide that being right isn't near as important as loving well. Or me convincing somebody that my view is really the right view to hold really falls way down the list of priorities. And then when God does that to me, then he begins to have his way. And when he has his way, his kingdom grows. Relationships are strengthened. Forgiveness is given freely. And healing begins to happen. It's what you and I need. It's this true north that will point the way that says, look, I know how you feel. I know how you want to act. And I know that you want to go this direction with this interaction or with this person. But this true north is going to point a way that will take us to a place of love. And when it does, when God begins to heal all kinds of things, the band's going to come back up. They're going to lead us through one more song as we wrap up our time together. But let me give you this picture about this series that will help you understand how one verse could begin to change everything. When a young pilot begins to learn how to fly a plane, he begins to learn how to fly a plane using what's called VFR, visual flight rules. And so a pilot who doesn't know much about flying, and we have a young pilot in our church just learning his, his way around the plane and how to fly and what it means to solo and all those kinds of things. He goes up in the plane, and he knows that he can see the horizon. Visual flight rules mean that it can't be cloudy like this. There can't be a ceiling that it doesn't allow me to understand what's in front of me. In fact, the key for VFR, visual flight rules flying, is that I can see everything around me and I can see the horizon very clearly. Once I get really good at flying, then I could be certified to fly in conditions like today's. But to do so, I would have to go through enough training to where I can fly based on instruments, or IFR, instrument flight rules. And this is really important. The difference is, well, it's night and day, literally. Most small aircraft accidents that occur happen when somebody who is certified to fly visually, VFR, ends up in weather. 
or a cloud rolls in or the fog settles in because, you know, weather can change quickly. So what happens when somebody can see the horizon, they know where they are, they're oriented, they know where north is, they know where south is, they know whether the plane is tilted this way or that way, they understand their rate of ascent or descent, it's very clearly they can see it with their own physical eyes. Then when weather rolls in, the pilot has to begin to rely solely and completely on his instruments. What new pilots will tell you, especially when they're being trained by somebody who understands IFR and instrument flying, is that when weather rolls in, your senses about what is up and what is down can change dramatically. You can believe that you are banking a little to the left when you, in fact, are banking a little to the right. You can believe that you are actually ascending and you're rate of descent is quicker than you could have ever dreamed or imagined. Most young pilots who find themselves in weather end up overcorrecting in such a way that, well, tragically, some pilots will find themselves steering the plane into the side of a mountain or even into the ground, believing that they were headed in the right direction. How many times in a relationship or in an interaction or in your own heart have you chosen a course or a path believing that it was the right way? Well, the writer of Proverbs says it this way. There is a way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to death. I don't know how you're operating in your relationships these days. And if you're like most of us, you found yourself a little short of patience maybe way short on grace and not sure what it looks like to love well. What we want to do with this verse of Scripture today is decide that we will use it as a compass. When you find yourself lost in the woods and you're not sure which way out, Romans 12, 16 will help. When you're not sure what harmony looks like or why disharmony is in place, well, odds are pride has taken hold of your heart and you have become to believe that you know exactly what's right and all the other idiots don't. Romans 12, 16 will help you find your way out. If you're flying your plane and you can see the horizon and you know exactly where you are, all it will take will be one incident that will happen at work or a, a difficult conversation between some folks and all of a sudden the fog has rolled in and you have no idea which way is up. So every Sunday this summer, we hope to give you a scripture that will help you understand where true north is on the compass, what love looks like and what it means to live it out. Now we've laid it out, but the heavy lifting is up to you. You've got to decide that you'll take this scripture and bury it deep in your heart. That you'll do what it takes to build harmony between people that are very different in their convictions, their beliefs, and their values. You've got to decide where has pride taken root? Who are the people that you're likely to feel a little better than? And allow the Holy Spirit to drive that out. But that only happens when you and I bend our knees to the one true God, invite him in to do the work that needs to be done, 
and humbly surrender that we would come as we are to him. And that's our hope. That you would, that I would come to that place with God. And so Lord, right now in this open sanctuary, we ask that you'll be present with us today. Lord, we see the beauty of your creation that you have set all things in place. We hear the the songs of the birds. We see spring that is a about to bloom before our very eyes. And so we believe that you bring new life. Lord, we ask that as we surrender to you today, that we come just as we are to your feet, that you will show us the places in our lives and in our hearts where we have decided to live out of harmony with others where we have decided that love is too big of a burden to bear. And Lord, we ask today that you will allow your Holy Spirit to gently guide us to a place of surrender. That you will reorient us. That we would walk through our days alert and oriented times four. That we know who we are We know who we belong to. We know what today is about. And we know that all of us are walking through life a bit wounded, a bit tired, a bit depleted. And that we would, humbly before you, allow your love to fill us in this moment that we may have something to offer to those feel quite unloved. Lord, this is our hope. We're grateful that we could gather in this place, reminded of your goodness, your beauty, and your mercy. And so, Lord, we worship you.